Part five, chapter nineteen of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Kane. Part five, chapter nineteen. That evening, Pete was sitting with one foot on the cradle rocker, one arm on the table, and the other hand trifling tenderly with the ring and the earrings which he had found in the drawer of the dressing table when there was a hurried knock on the door. It had the hollow reverberation of a knock on the lid of a coffin. "'Come in,' called Pete. It was Philip, but it was almost as if death had entered, so thin and bony were his cheeks, so wild his eyes, so cold his hands. Pete was prepared for anything. "'You found me out, too. I see you have,' he said defiantly. "'You needn't tell me it's chasing caught fish.' "'Be brave, Pete,' said Philip. "'It will be a great shock to you.' Pete looked up, and his manner changed. "'Speak it out, sir. "'It's a poor man that can't stand.' "'I've come on the saddest errand,' said Philip, "'taking a seat as far away as possible. "'You've found her. "'You've seen her, sir. "'Where is she?' "'She is,' began Philip, and then he stopped. "'Go on, mate. "'I've known trouble before today,' said Pete.' "'Can you bear it?' said Philip. "'She is—' and he stopped again. "'She is where?' said Pete. "'She is dead,' said Philip at last. Pete rose to his feet. Philip rose also, and now poured out his message with the headlong rush of a cataract. "'In fact, it all happened some time ago, Pete, but I couldn't bring myself to tell you before. I tried, but I couldn't. It was in Douglas, of a fever.' in a lodging, alone, unattended. "'Hold hard, sir, give me time,' said Pete. "'I'd a gunshot wound at Kimberley, "'and since then I've a stitch in my side at whiles, "'and sometimes a bit of a catch in my breathing.' "'He staggered to the porch door and threw it open, "'then came back panting. "'Dead! Dead! Kate is dead!' "'Nancy came from the kitchen at the moment.' and hearing what he was saying, she lifted both hands and uttered a piercing shriek. He took her by the shoulders and turned her back, shut the door behind her, and said, holding his right hand hard at his side, "'Women are brave, sir, but when the storm breaks on a man—' He broke off and muttered again, "'Dead! Kiri is dead!' The child, awakened by Nancy's cry, was now whimpering fretfully, Pete went to the cradle and rocked it with one foot, crooning in a quavering treble. Hushabye, hushabye. Philip's breathing was oppressed. He felt like a man at the edge of a precipice, with an impulse to throw himself over. God forgive me, he said. I could kill myself. I've broken your heart. No fear of me, sir, said Pete. I'm an old hulk that's seen weather. I'll not go to pieces from inside at all. "'Give me time, mate, give me time.' And then he went on muttering as before, "'Dead. Kiri, dead. Hush up, I. My Kiri, dead.' The little one slept, and Pete drew back in his chair, nodded into the fire, and said in a weak, childish voice, "'I've known her all my life, do you know? She's been my little sweetheart since she was a slip of a girl, and slapped the schoolmaster for baiting me wrongously.' Sweet little thing in them days, mate, with her brown feet and tossing hair. And now she's a woman and she's dead. 
The Lord have mercy upon me. He got up and began to walk heavily across the floor, dipping and plunging as if going upstairs. The bright and happy she was when I started for Kimberley, too, with her pretty face by the azing stones in the morning, all laughter and mischief. Five years I was seeing it in my dreams like that, and now it's gone. Kiri is gone. My Kiri. God help me. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. He stopped in his unsteady walk, and sat and stared into the fire. His eyes were red. Blotches of heart's blood seemed to be rising to them, but there was not the sign of a tear. Philip did not attempt to console him. He felt as if the first syllable would choke in his throat. "'I see how it's been, sir,' said Pete. "'While I was away, her heart was changing her, and when I came back, she thought she must keep her word. My poor lamb! She was only a child, anyway. But I was a man. I ought to have seen how it was.' I'm like a drowning man, too. Things are coming back on me. I'm seeing them plain enough now, but it's too late. My poor Kiri! And I thought I was making her so happy. Then, with a helpless look, You wouldn't believe it, sir, but I was never once thinking nothing else. No, I wasn't. It's a fact. I was same as a sailor working all the voyage home, making a cage and painting it gold for the love bird he'd catched in the sunny land somewhere. But when he's putting it in... It's only wanting away, poor thing. With a sense of grovelling meanness, Philip sat and listened. Then, with eyes wandering across the floor, he said, You have nothing to reproach yourself with. You did everything a man could do, everything. And she was innocent also. It was the fault of another. He came between you. Perhaps he thought he couldn't help it. Perhaps he persuaded himself. God knows what lie he told himself. But she's innocent, Pete. Believe me, she's... Pete brought his fist down heavily on the table, and the rings that lay on it jumped and tingled. "'What's that to me?' he cried hoarsely. "'What do I care if she's innocent or guilty? She's dead, isn't she? And that's enough. Curse the man, I don't want to hear of him. He's mine now. What for should he come here between me and my own?' The torn heart and racked brain could bear no more. Pete dropped his head on the table. Presently his anger ebbed. Without lifting his head, he stretched his hand across the rings to feel for Philip's hand. Philip's hand trembled in his grasp. He took that for sympathy, and became the more ashamed. "'Give me time, mate,' he said. "'I'll be my own man soon. My head's moithering dreadful. I'm not knowing if I heard you right. In Douglas, you say? By herself, too? Not by herself, surely. Not quite alone, neither. She found you out, didn't she?' You'd be there, Phil. You'd be with her yourself. She'd be wanting for nothing. Philip answered huskily, his eyes still wandering. If it will be any comfort to you, yes, I was, with her. She wanted for nothing. My poor girl, said Pete. Did she send, had she any, maybe she said a word or two at the last, eh? Philip clutched at the question. There was something at last that he could say without falsehood. She sent a prayer for your forgiveness, he said. She told me to tell you to think of her as little as might be, not to grieve for her too much, and to try to forget her, so that her sin also might be forgotten. And the little one? Anything about the little one? asked Pete. That was the bitterest grief of all, said Philip. It was so hard that you must think her an unnatural mother. My Catherine, my little Catherine, my sweet angel, 
It was her cry the whole day long. I see, I see, said Pete, nodding at the fire. She left the little one for my sake, wanting it with her all the while. Poor thing. You'd comfort her, Philip. You'd let her go easy. The child is well and happy, I told her. He's thinking nothing of yourself but what is good and kind, I said. God's peace rest on her, my darling, my wife, said Pete solemnly. Then suddenly in another tone, Do you know where she's buried? Philip hesitated. He had not foreseen this question. Where had been his head that he had never thought of it? But there was no going back now. He was compelled to go on. He must tell lie on lie. Yes, he faltered. Could you take me to the grave? Philip gasped. The sweat broke out on his forehead. Don't be freckin', sir, said Pete. I'm my own man again. Could you take me to my wife's grave? Yes, said Philip. He was in the rapids. He was on the edge of precipitation. He was compelled to go over. He made a blindfold plunge. Lie on lie. Lie on lie. Then we'll start by the coach tomorrow, said Pete. Philip rose with rigid limbs. He had meant to tell one lie only, and already he had told many. Truly a lie is a cripple. It cannot stand alone. Good night, Pete. I'll go home. I'm not well tonight. We'll stop the coach at your aunt's gate in the morning, said Pete. They stepped to the door together, and stood for a moment in the dank and lifeless darkness. The world's getting wonderful lonely, man, and you're all that's left to me now, Phil. You and the child. I'm not for wailing, though. When I got my gunshot wound out yonder, I was away over the big veldt, hundreds of miles from anywhere, behind the last bush and the last blade of grass, with the stones and the ashes and the dust, about as far, you'd say, as the world was finished, and never looking to see herself and the old island and the old faces no more. I'm not so lonesome as that at all. Good night, old fellow, and God bless you. The gate opened and closed. Philip went stumbling up the road. He was hating Pete, to hate this open-hearted man who had dragged him into an entanglement of lies was the only resource of his stifled conscience. Pete went back to the house, muttering, Kiri is dead, Kiri is dead. He put the catch on the door and said, Close the shutters, Nancy, and then returned to his chair by the cradle. End of Part 5, Chapter 19